0: Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to another episode of Pushing Boundaries. Uh, This is Black Man, My Story, and here my guest today is... Connors Corner. All right, Connors, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I'm a Black man, first and foremost.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Live in Valley Stream, New York. One block away from me that's right uh, I am a father a successful father I would say a successful husband um you know I I, I work in the corporate arena uh, so black men in corporate finance I am a member of a black creek letter organization uh there's I mean I can keep I can keep on going right you know if you're if you're if if we're talking about a, a short biography I'll, I'll make it very short. Uh, graduate of Hofstra University here on Long Island uh, with a uh, major in video and TV production with a minor in psychology, Uh, currently work for an international bank, cannot mention the name of that bank due to privacy concerns. Uh, Off the side of my desk at work, I'm also a D, E, and I champion. Um, You know, I'm in leadership with respect to a employee resource group or ERGs as we call as we call them for short, at, at work. And that's some uh, the most rewarding work uh, that I do, even more so than what I do for a living. Um, yeah, uh, w- what else What else you need? I think that's that's a lot. Also, I, I will point out one other thing. I do have a master's of business administration from Baruch College. So if anyone's like, how did you go from video TV to finance? That's a long story. Probably not for this venue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, suffice it to say, that's the, uh, the level of education. That's where I am
0: listen, we might have to have that conversation, you know, in terms of expanding the show, you know, we might Mm -hmm. need your gifts, you know, so we we met each other uh, a while ago, I guess, with our our children going to the same school. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, most of our interaction was picking up and dropping off our children initially. And uh, one of the things I think that was great about this school was that there were many black men dropping off their children, you know, picking up and dropping off their children. And it was a a presence of our fathers there, black fathers. Yes. Um, And that's that was tremendous. And then, you know, from seeing you, you seem like to be really an upstanding gentleman. And then we connected throughout the years and remain in contact and uh, really grew together with our families. And so um thank you for you know sharing yourself in this moment today on our pushing boundaries. And we want to really want to get into and engage you in your conversation in the context of you know who you are. So who are you?
1: Excellent. Happy to be here. Um I am, and you know, and this is funny, right? This is dealing right with what we were just talking about. I am, in some people's eyes, the exception to the rule. But according to black men, black women that I interact with, I'm the rule, right? And so the rule is and that I'm referring to is black excellence. Not a matter of oh this is how much money i make or what car i drive or anything like that literally being normal uh raising your children the way raising your children um being married to your wife uh, buying property working uh, you know getting your education etc right uh, we look at that as black excellence, and 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 for me, my organization, one of, of many, Cap uh, Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated—that's the the Black Greek letter organization I'm a part of. All the members of the Divine Nine, of fraternities and sororities that are there, and even people who are not part of those organizations, because we can't pigeonhole ourselves to just that, are all out here practicing black excellence, regardless of the narrative you may see on the news or here in the media and social media, etc. Right, and so. What I visualize or or, or uh, perceive is that in some arenas, looking at someone like myself or someone like yourself, Sharif, they would say, wow, that's the exception to the rule that that black man's doing his thing. But he's an exception. That's not that's not the norm, because what's being generated or proliferated through other means are. Drug, heavy drug use, heavy violence, heavy, you know, sale of of, 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 of uh, controlled substances, uh, being strung out, not taking care of your kids, um, you know, can't hold down a job, et cetera, et cetera, right? And in some cases, that may be the case. Nothing is not true. Uh, but I tend to feel that that's not the rule. Some other folks may look at at folks like me as the exception to the rule, but that's all based on the lens with which you look through the world, right? I look through my lens. My lens is going to show, I can point to, I can name off the top of my head at least 10 men that I know are doing the same thing I am. They're not doing any of those things that you see on the news, right? Um, If I broaden that horizon, I can point to whole organizations of men and women who are not doing those things, right? They can't all be wrong, right? So for us, that, for, for, for me looking through that lens, that's the rule. But if my lens only encompasses what I see on television, what I see on the news, what I hear on the news, what I see in social media, uh, based on an algorithm, right? You, You click on one one view or one video about something that is negative with respect to black people, you're going to get 50 others, right? And this and this is going to continue to feed. And if you if you don't look at things through a different lens, if you are only pigeonholed to that myopic view that is being spoon-fed to you, and you don't have another outlet or another way to look at it, then the first thing you're going to think of is, oh, that's how black people act. That's what they do. These men don't take care of their kids, it's what they do. All right. Uh, There are statistics out there that talk about children growing up without fathers. I heard one uh, this week, actually, that said 73% of of, uh, Black children don't grow up with a father in their lives. But I don't know where that statistic came from. So I challenge it. I challenge it. Because that, that just can't be right. Right. And before anyone says, oh, you're living in, in you know, an, an, an elite mindset, I'm born and raised in the boogie down Bronx. OK, the South Bronx grew up as a kid in the 80s or in the crack era. So all that stuff that we see on the news, I was seen as a
2: kid. Right. I lived in that. My parents weren't letting that happen. Right. It wasn't we were we weren't hood adjacent. We
1: were in the hood. Right. Pissing the staircase, you know, (laughs) gunshots going off across the expressway every night, you know, the the number six train being the worst train and most dangerous train on the line at the time I was taking the subway and and I was getting off at Hunts Point, Mm -hmm. one of the worst stops. Like, you know, so I I, I don't want anyone to think, oh, you know what you're talking about. No, no, I get it. I lived through that. It doesn't mean
2: that the majority is that way. I refuse to believe that. I
0: refuse Mm to. That's well said. I mean, I'm glad you you made that point in terms of you know where you came from and how it began for you, mm-hmm. and you know having to to push through that environment and having to push through that and and designing or, or going after own your own narrative, you know, orchestrating your own outcome, you know, and and living through, you know, the, some some landmines that were out there to destroy your future, you know, and so that's good to know. Um, and and so that speaks to the next question, and, and that's what's not true about you. I mean, you know, you said that you spoke about those narratives and, and what what people seem to be true about us, right? And then you spoke to, I know we spoke before this, before our, we started the session was you spoke about two points, right? And I think those two points go well here in terms of what's not true about you, if you want to, you know, expunge your nose. So,
1: so that gets to the whole exception thing, right? So the the, the truth of the matter is, or were you asking what's true what's not true? So what's not, what's true? not true? Yeah. What's not true? I don't sell controlled substances. I don't use controlled substances. No disrespect to folks who do, I don't, right? Been married to my wife almost 15 years next month. Uh, We have two amazing uh, young men who are uh, very, very smart, well-advanced for their age with respect to their their command of the English language, their understanding of the world. Uh, They're not geniuses. I don't profess to say that about my kids. They have their weak points just like any other child. Um, but what's not true about them is, is some of the negative misconceptions that you would see about Black children, Black boys. And and the concern that I have, right, is that I'm six foot four. My wife is five seven. My boys are going to be tall. They're very tall now and a very dark skin. And I worry about them being able to navigate a society that looks down on them or, or, or makes assumptions about them just based on how they look, regardless of how they're dressed, regardless of how articulate they are. So I pray for their safety. Uh, But what's not true about them is they are not your average stereotypical Black child in the sense that what has been perpetrated as what all Black children are, they are not. They are not. Part of that has to do with, or a lot of that has to do with how we've raised them, right? My kids, you know, I, I we, we, my wife and I, we joke about them like, y'all boys soft. You don't know the stuff we went through coming up, right? My, my wife is a Queens uh, native. She grew up in South Ozone Park. You know, uh, when we start talking about environment, the house across the street from where she lived was a crack house, right? You know, there's a woman that used to run around in our building when I grew up called Crackhead Lisa. Like, we used to call her that. And it was a wow. true statement. It wasn't just because <laughs> we were making fun of her. She, She was. She had an addiction she needed to get over, right? So uh, my, my kids will never see that. They're, they're not going not gonna to see that. So I have a duty as a father and my wife as a mother to discuss that with them. Let them know, okay, well, you're growing up differently than we did. And that's, and that's okay. That's what it's supposed to be. We should be pulling ourselves up to make sure that you're growing in an environment that is completely different than the one that we grew up in where you don't have to struggle to get out of the hood. You don't have to claw and fight your way to get out and still instill in them some level of grit um, for them to understand that this stuff's not going to be handed to you. You're still black at the end of the day, right? You walk outside of this house and the assumptions about you are completely different than the actual truth, right? And be prepared for that. And here's how you navigate that kind of situation. And you know, one of the sad things about it is my oldest is ten years old. My son, my youngest is seven. Ever since I can remember, I've been having a discussion about them with respect to how to deal with law enforcement and successfully get out of a traffic stop before they could even know that you know you need a license to drive a car, right? How to deal with uh, being stopped on the street? How to protect yourself? How to answer in those particular situations? Um, you know, and then stealing a little bit of their innocence every single time there's something that is racially motivated that makes the headlines, and I need to inform them. I could keep them blissfully ignorant about it, uh, but that's not helpful for them. That's detrimental to them, right? Mm. I need them to be able to understand the world that they live in, understand that it's not rose-colored. Make sure that the lens that they use is different, right? The lens that they're looking at is going to be a different one that I look through. The one I look through is here's where I came from. Here's where I am now. Their lens has to be, well, here's where I am now, but everything in this world is not the way I grew up. Not everybody thinks the way that I do. Also want to go back to one point I mentioned about uh, the stereotypes. We all know they're born out of a certain level of truth, right? And the organizations that we were a part of are there for the upliftment of our Black men and women from a young age all the way through adulthood? So I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying and say there's no problem, right? And if there's not an issue that needs to be addressed with respect to our communities, absolutely there is. Mm. What I'm saying is not everybody is that way. And
2: I challenge the notion that the majority are that way. Just my own, my own thought process around it.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. so you, you've given us some hints in terms of what is true about you um based on how you raise your children and your belief systems and how you look at the world and and looking at the multiple perspectives that exist out there and and being speaking truthfully with your, your uh children about that and, and within the family and so that's pretty heavy um and why is that true about you what i mean what how did that come out how, how, did, how did that how did that happen for you that you have such a um authentic being an authentic uh, personality um, that you speak to your truth and that you stand on your two feet and in your blackness and, you know, in your maleness, you know, um, and you're not intimidated by that, but how did that happen for you?
1: Some of it is upbringing, you know, Mm -hmm. props to mom and dad for the way that I was raised. Right. Um, You know, you, when you, when you take a look at where somebody was raised and what they went through as a youth, it completely informs you of their thought process and their mindset, and where they're coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you, my dad grew up in the Throgs Neck part of the Bronx. And at that time Throgs Neck was 99% white. They're mm-hmm. one of the very few black families that were uh, in Throgs Neck. And he went to Catholic school. He went to St. Benedict's school in uh Northern part of the Bronx and him and his sister and his brother were one of a handful of black families in that school right um and so my father's view long rest his soul of the world even though he had white friends he used to say to me when i was a kid white people are friendly but they're not your friends i was like whoa and he said this when i was a very young child and he continued to say it um at some point in your uh, growth, right? The yeah, Bible says that when I was a child, I reasoned as a child. And then when I became a man, I reasoned as a man, right? So as I got older, I started to challenge that and say, well, Pop, if you're going to stand here and say that white folks are racist, what you're saying seems kind of racist too. And, you know, it, what <clears throat> I think what's informed me is not just the conversations that my father would have at a very young age with me about the world, about racism, sexism. Um, all the kind of isms, right? Uh, but also how I responded to those things and challenged them and had, and had conversations with him, right? And then taking a 30,000 foot view and saying, okay, well, here's where my father grew up. He grew up in an extremely racist area in the Bronx. He faced racism almost on a daily basis. So did his father, right? So uh, his father was one of the first black Marines ever on the planet, right? So when he came out of the service, he had that mindset of white people are friendly, but they're not your friends. And then he passed that on to his son, my dad. Now, the flip side of that is I went to Hofstra, right? Hofstra predominantly white institution, probably still that same way. When I was going there, it was probably about 10% black, period, right? And I lived on campus. So I can't go to campus at Hofstra with that mindset, right? That's just, that's not the world that we live in. Like you, you, you can't think that way, but you have to be mindful of where he came from, right? And what he was thinking and the way that he had that discussion with me informed me to say, okay, well, some people are not your friends. Some are. Just move cautiously. Judge somebody on the merits of their character Look out for certain red flags that will point to somebody who may or may not be a, a racist person who may hate you for the way that you look or for your for your color, et cetera. But take them on their merits, the content of their character first, and but just move cautiously. Be cautiously optimistic. So that that kind of has driven my thought process. Another part of that is. Um, I ask the question to anybody, especially black males, when was the first time you heard the N word, used at you by somebody who's not black and used in a derogatory manner, right? I don't wanna sit here and break down the AH versus the ER at the end, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just, you know what I'm talking about. Someone used that word at you because they were trying to cut you down, right? And you'd be surprised just how early. For me, it was sixth grade by one of my best friends. So this is where this, this ties in what I was talking about with my dad. I had a best friend in
2: sixth grade who was white best friend totally not thinking about what my dad said uh, whatever best friend we got
1: into arguing about something on a on a playground I don't even know what to this day but I know what he said and how it made me feel we got to that point where he said the word and it was like oh okay that you know dad has already taught me about this so that's a trigger like I know what's coming right and the funny part is there's another friend of mine uh who uh you know dark-skinned black man just like me who used to bully me in school but he happened to be standing next to me when my best friend so-called best friend called me that word and instantly we had kinship he's like whoa whoa, whoa, what did you say stepped in front of me you're not allowed to call him that right and it was a shock to my sister man i'm like wow as soon as i heard that word i'm thinking man this is what dad was talking about Went home, told my parents, and, and you could see my father in his face. He had that, I told you so, look, right? He was kind of sad because he didn't want me to experience that. But on the flip side of it, he was like, well, all right, no, now now you know what I was talking about, right? Um, word got back because my mother called my friend's mother. She got on the phone, apologized to me on the phone, apologized to my parents on the phone, put her son on the phone. And before I spoke to him, I'm holding the receiver, and I look at my dad, and he said, if I were you, I wouldn't be that kid's friend anymore. But it's completely up to you what you want to do for this moment. Right? And so I got on the phone, and he apologized to me. And I said to him, I accept your apology, but I can no longer be your friend. And that day, I lost that best friend. Right? Um, what that what when I made that decision it wasn't wholeheartedly based on what my father was saying what I was saying to myself is people show you who they are believing and you know he he he, I don't, it's sixth grade. So, you know, minds are still developing. So I don't really know if that's how he really felt, or if he heard it at home and he used it, or if he heard it on TV and he used it, or if he wanted to test it out and see how that effect is. I, I don't know what was going on in that kid's mind. I have no idea. Right. But for me, in my mind, my sixth grade mind, I said, nah, nah, I didn't like how that felt. Mm-mm. I can't be friends with that man. Right. I will forgive because I'm, you know, at Catholic school and told that you're supposed to forgive your enemies. So I forgave them, you know, and then moved on, right? From there. Um, so that you know, you 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 think of certain things that have happened in your life that are like defining moments. That one was a defining moment at a very, very early age when it probably shouldn't uh have have I shouldn't have experienced something that early, but I'm thankful for it because it just it 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 brought clarity to what my father was saying. But it caused me to challenge what he was saying and just make my own decision. It was the first time I was making my own decision about race and not just feeding into what my dad was saying, but being cautious about, okay, that didn't feel good. And I know the connotation behind that word. That's not just a it's not just an expletive. I know the connotation behind that word. Now, now I know how to proceed from there, you know. Um, So the innocence was stripped. Right. I try to give my kids the same level of clarity. I want them to learn from my mistakes, but I also want to prepare them for what's going to happen. It's inevitable that it's coming. and I want them to be ready for it. And and, uh, (laughs) further to that, right, because I'm going down a rabbit hole and I got to climb myself back out. Right. My kids are now going to be going to a school that's predominant, that is um, multicultural in nature but the instructors are predominantly white. My sons came, are coming out of a school, as you know very well, where everybody's black. Instructors, administrators, everyone down in the maintenance person and the attendees, the students are black. My kids were born, each of them were born when the president was black. They were born into a household that is owned and by black people, Right, my, my wife and I, in a neighborhood where the majority of the people there own their property and they're Black. So in their mind, this is what we do, right? It's not special to them. It's special to me considering my upbringing. But to them, eh, this is what it's supposed to be. So for them, Black excellence is second nature to them. That's what I want. I want them to think that way. But I don't want them to be oblivious to the rest of the world. And so it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how they deal with their new school, right? Because we have plenty of friends of ours that are not black. We we have United Nations of friends that we hang out with, and that their kids hang out with my kids. So you know they're on Valley Streams Little League, so they see different races. They know how to interact, and they're innocent enough still to to interact with them a certain way. But school is different. School is different, man. So I, I'm I'm excited and concerned all at the same time as to what's going to happen when they start going to a local. Uh, the local school where things look different than they've seen for the last seven years. Right. So interesting.
0: Wow. Wow. So so you've given me a lot of context, I mean, um, behind you know what's not true about you and uh what is true about you. And um you know there's some there's a, there's something here that keeps coming out is is really your connection to your children and your connection to your father. And I was just wondering, you know, I always ask this question is, how did you learn how to love as a man? And what does that look like for you? The
2: best example that I can get of how to love is from my parents, right? It's funny, my father-in-law is the one that said, he he told my wife, the best example he could give his children of how to love was to love their mother and love their mother in front
1: of them and when he said that I was like wow yeah that makes that makes perfect sense but also know that you need to learn not only what works but what doesn't work and maybe not repeat that in your own relationships in your own marriage so the best example i have is my dad and my mom and how they loved each other the funny part though and I mentioned this to my sons the other day is when it came time to learn about male and female relationships beyond marriage I couldn't go to my dad with that the first woman that he fell in love with was my mom and he married her (laughs) so his experience with you know and, and 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 to that end you know Different dynamic when you're, you know, in college, living on campus or whatever, dealing with women there. He, my mother at the time hadn't gone to college. She now has a degree. My mother at the time prior to my birth had not gone to college. And my father had finished two years of an associate. He finished he got his associate's degree. Um he but again, he he met my mom while he was doing his associate's degree. Well, I take that back. He met her alone before that, but they started courting while he was doing his associate's degree. So for him, he found a good woman who had a head on straight, who was beautiful, who loved him back. So I'm marrying her. He married her. So as far as being married is concerned, yeah, I got that. But all the dating and courting and everything like that, you know, I had to kind of figure that out on, on my own. So props to mom and dad for giving me the, uh, the example of what it should be like. And to a certain extent, what I need to do better. Or differently than they did, based specifically on my marriage to my wife. right? But that's when he's talking about love, that's, that's the, the starting point for me, the springboard, mom and dad, and
0: how, how they loved each other so deeply. That's excellent, man. So, how did, how did you extend on that? So, you saw that, and it was his first time, and, and they did it right. How did you extend that into your household? How did you build on that? Or did you extend, on, is it, or is it always at the same?
1: It's just different, right? So, like I said, that was the springboard, right? So I, I
2: grew up with a benchmark, if you will, or what a successful marriage looks like. I'm not going to say my parents in marriage were perfect.
1: They're not. Um, we are imperfect beings. We do imperfect things. So that's 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 just the case. So I can't say that they were perfect but I had the, the 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 foundation there, right? So as far as what, you know, marriage is concerned, I had that, right? I just had to build on it, right? So I will tell you this much, Amber and I, when we met, and, you know, we were friends first and, you know, really just sitting down and kind of figuring each other out, right? Having a conversation and kind of seeing what the other person's head is at. And we realized we had a lot of stuff in common. Um, and at one point, I said to my wife, then my girlfriend, actually, then my friend, we weren't even boyfriend, girlfriend yet. I said, listen, there's certain things that are really, really important to me beyond anything else.
2: And in my experiences with the women I've dated in the past, if if, if, they, if they can't uh, embody these three things, it's not going to work. That's just my experience. Right.
1: Number one was loyalty. Number two was honesty. Number three is respect. Right. And so Amber is completely quiet over there on the phone when I'm talking about this. I said, <laughs> loyalty means you with me and you, I'm not sharing. Right. And, and you shouldn't share. Right. Mm. And if you feel like you need to share, this ain't gonna work. Right. Mm. Number two is honesty. If you feel like somebody else can be a better job or be a better man to you than me, let me know. Because I would rather hear it from you than from somebody else, because that is dishonest. Mm. The third is respect, right? You know, I'm not gonna disrespect you in public. I'm not respect you in private, right? A- a- as a as a general rule, my own personal one. I don't expect anyone to to follow it, but it's been working for both of us. Um, Amber and I, we don't argue a lot, but when we do, I refrain from using four letter words at her, or or name calling. I just I can't. It's not really in my psyche to do that anyway, but I feel like that kind of violates the respect part, right? And so I'm telling Amber this and bracing for impact, right? Like, okay, I don't know what she's gonna come back with. And she said to me, that doesn't seem difficult to do. I'm like, you'd be surprised. I could tell you about some situations I've been in before you, babe. Like, you'd be surprised about some of the things that that have happened to me uh, with respect to the opposite sex. So I'm like, listen, Those are my boundaries. Those are my three rules. You can follow those. We'll be good because we already got the friendship down. We're already cool. right. Go already talk about everything. But those three tenets right there, that for me is crucial. And then I listened to what she had to say. And the funny thing is she came back with pretty much the same, um, same thing, maybe not necessarily in the same order, but she came back with the same thing. And so at that point, I was like, okay, this, this, this could work. Let's, let's, Let's work on this. Let's see how this works, you know? Um, now, and there's also the show improved, right? Like you could talk all that and then not do it, right? So part of it was I'm testing to see that she's going to do it. And she did. One of the things that she said to me is that her experience in the past with her exodus is that they started off real nice. <laughs> and then at some point, they, they, they flipped the script, right? And she had had this happen to her so many times that she felt like that's how men operate. So we were both kind of testing each other, like, you're going to do it? You're going to do it? You know, are you going to stick to what we were talking about? And there came a point where she had turned to me one day and she was like, wow, you're, you are different. Like you said, you said you were different. Um, She said, I don't want to cuss on your program. She goes, Men always become a holes. I was like, not all men. She goes, all men. I'm like, not all men. She said, prove it. I'm like, all right, test me, prove it. I will prove it to you. And at some point, she came back to me and was like, wow, you really are different, dude. Yeah, you know. So that's how it kind of worked out. We set expectations at the outset. We were friends first, which I think is key, right? We worship together, which is really important. And that's that's another story, right? Because I was born and raised and baptized Roman Catholic. And my wife grew up in a Jehovah witness household. That's like a long, long story. And we both, did. I, you know, she came to my Catholic church to worship. I went to Kingdom Hall one time to worship. And then we both looked at each other and said, "Now you know what? We need to find our own church together. We need to go somewhere that's not one of those two places that we've been raised under. Um, we found Christian cultural center in Brooklyn. And you know, on, based on the recommendation of my ADP, he, uh, he, <laughs> he he was telling me about his church. And you know, I, I know how he used to get down. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if they can reform him, they can reform anybody. Let's go in here and see what this is about. We walked in, and it was overwhelming the first time. Cause anybody knows what CCC is. It's a mega church. It's large. You know, 27,380 members, something like that. Um, I walked in there and looked around. My like, oh, this is going to be too big. And we sat down and, you know, went through praise and went to worship and offering and all that stuff. And then pastor comes out and he starts talking. I'm like, oh, OK, he's talking to me like he had word that was not just for everybody. Like somehow he was talking to me directly. I'm looking at Amber like, I think we found out. I think we found our church home. We just started going there on a regular basis. So, hey, we we put everything out out there or up front as to our expectations. We were friends and made sure that we knew each other intimately that way.
2: And we made sure we were able to worship together. It worked. 15 years, next month.
0: Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Wow. So there is a formula. You've given us a formula there. That's <laughs> something we could definitely take away, you know.
1: It, it, it's guidelines, guidelines, not a formula.
0: Yeah. Well, the guidelines, too. We can take that, too. So, So in that, I mean, living up to that formula, I mean, you have to, I guess, be authentic to it. What happens when you stray or there's error in the formula what do you do how do you recover it what's that the the rest restorative process for that
1: so we're we're again we're imperfect beings right yeah so you know there's there, there's a standard and 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 you and you say that you can live up to that standard and you do everything you can to live up to that standard if you're willing right is a matter of willingness involved, right? If you just say it just because you want to get at somebody, you know that's 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 easy, but it's it's an authentic, right? So that you keep using the word authentic and and that's an important part of it that you know Amber and I both need to be authentic to each other, right? We can't just be blowing smoke. And so that's what we do. You know her, her and I are are truthful and we are upfront with each other. and even when it's uncomfortable, that's the part, right? when it's uncomfortable to say how you feel, when it's uncomfortable to say you're wrong or I'm wrong and I apologize for being wrong. Right. That's where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's it's all gravy when you guys are good, you get into something, when you get into it and then, you know, there's an argument or, you know, you're, you're, you know, you feel like somebody's wronged you in some way or whatever, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's when you see somebody's, you know, real side. And, and I feel like we have, So we've been married 15, we'll be married 15 years next month. We'll be together 18 in total. And over that time period, you know, what's helped us out is just being open and honest to speak to each other about stuff and not bottling it up or holding it in or being vengeful about something. If you genuinely felt hurt, you let somebody know, hey, no, that was wrong. I don't like how that felt. And even if that feeling is wrong, right? Like I could feel hurt about something and Amber could come back and be like, you have no reason to be hurt, right? I wasn't trying to hurt you, etc." But acknowledging it and having that outward discussion has really, really, really helped us. Um It's <laughs> something that one of my um ICB brothers, uh International Christian Brotherhood for, uh, that comes out of uh, Christian Cultural Center. One of the things he said, it's, It's about heart transformation, not behavior modification. What that means is if you ask somebody to stop doing something that's wrong or that you perceive as wrong and they say, yeah, I'm going to stop and they change the behavior, but inside they still want to do it. Ultimately, they're going to do it again. Right. That's behavior modification. I'm just doing this or not doing this because they don't like it. But. You know, it's, it's not it's not a change of heart right? Heart transformation will then guide the behavior. It leads that way. In my heart of hearts, if I could change the way I think about something or see something and really, really feel it on the inside, then my behaviors are going to reflect that. That works with relationships with each other. That works with relationship to God. Either way, it works. Um, But you have to be authentic. That word is 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 key.
2: You have to be authentic. You can't be fake about it. I truly believe
0: that. So let me let me let me push on you a little more. Um, was there a time, um, where you were challenged externally by something or something that pushed you to um <clears throat> to potentially move beyond your boundaries of emotional uh, stability or um. Uh, physical or spiritual stability, you know, that pushed you outside of yourself. Was there a moment if you could just tell us that, that story of when you were challenged externally as a black man and it pushed you
2: to the point of potentially losing control? And then how did One you? Call question. I ordered question.
0: You yeah, you know, I mean, listen, we got to go there. When we say push boundaries; we got to push, <laughs> you know
2: uh gotta think about that
0: because you know and i'm asking you that question because you know just from hearing your profile now you know you've pretty been you've been pretty much stable you know and 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 you know within the framework of how you live and you're pretty absolute about that so i'm just wondering you know Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with environmental pressures every day of your life was there a moment when you've nearly lost it and how did you come back from that
2: Thinking about a few things. Um, at some point when I was in college,
1: uh, oh, I didn't, my, my father, I will say is, uh, he's deceased now, but at, at later on in his life, he was uh,
2: clinically depressed, right. right? And he, one particular day, he called, um, and my mom called and said that he had said that he didn't want to live anymore.
1: And that was, for me, that kind of pushed the boundary. That definitely pushed a boundary, right? Because, you know, being raised in a Roman Catholic household, you know, suicide is considered a mortal sin that you can't come back from. Right? Like, yeah, you take your own life. It's a wrap, cousin. I don't care what you what you did in your life, right? If you could, you take your own life, you're going straight to hell, right? That that's their the, the mindset, right? And so that that kind of pushed the boundary for me because I'm looking at my dad, like hey, I'm looking to you for guidance, man. You know, like how could you how could you want to do something like that?
2: And for a while, it kind of makes you question. Uh. You kind of question God, like, OK, so why would you have my father thinking that way? What
1: did you do or not do for my father in his lifetime that would push him to that point? Like, what are you doing up there? You know, and. Folks got to know that as, asking questions of God or or doubting God. Is. A human thing to do and not necessarily wrong. Sometimes it's what is used to strengthen your faith. And so when you ask the question about you know losing control or being pushed from a boundary, I think of things in the terms of when was my faith challenged? Okay? That's a point. That's one point. Uh, there were some times in and and in school while in college where the work was just too crazy and you know my 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 job and college was just too crazy and you know things were just going just not going right and i may have thought about it like yo i can't do all this right now wouldn't have to worry about it anymore right the very next thought in my head was nah it's not worth it right but when that comes up two or three or four different times you start to your faith gets tested right Lord, why am I in the middle of this? Lord, why is this happening to me? Why can't you pull me out of this? Aren't you Almighty and ever powerful? Why can't you just end this? Why you got why do I have this as a problem? And um, so so you ask how that, how you come back from that, how I came back from it. I don't know, it kind of happened organically, right? You know. Um, and I think I found this out later on during doing men's ministry, which is one of the things that I do. Uh uh
2: a brother was talking and saying that you can question God. The mere fact that you have that foundation and
1: you're questioning God means you believe in him. There's a difference between questioning him and not believing him altogether, right? You don't believe that he exists. I think it's preposterous, right? Because there's so many things out there that can prove that he's alive and, and among us, but that's another story, right? But questioning him, yo, how could you let this happen? Yo, how could this happen? your God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen to my dad? How could you? How could you not, right? Asking those questions is because you have a framework that you believe in with respect to who Christ is, who who God is, and, and, you know, how he is manifested through his son, son, Jesus Christ. And then trying to get the answers to those questions, that's how I was able to kind of
2: come back from it, right? Ask questions. Right? um but I said that happened organically, right?
1: There wasn't anybody there to kind of really talk to about it. It wasn't like I had a shrink or anything or a family member that I could kind of pull aside and say, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking. I had to work on it on my own." right? So there, there was there was one or two times, and it looks like both of those times happened in college, where, yeah, you know, I was close, man, close to, you know, giving up on that, giving up on life, giving up on. Uh, faith giving up on that. Um and it really just took some soul searching. Um one other uh situation that occurred is a uh, real bad breakup with a female but she was real foul to me dude now i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> how foul but real foul to me and like I have a I have a, a character right my character is not one that is a you know a womanizing dude right and but after that, I was like, "All bets are off, B. Let's do this, right?" And 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 and, you know, I was waiting. I was I was ready to be that 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 player, right? It's not in my it's not in my character to do it. But I, that's I was thinking like, "All right, man, I'm I'm tired of being uh, a one a one man one man woman, right? A one woman one woman man. Uh, tired of being one woman man. Let's go out there, and just do it, right?" And I was speaking to one of my fraternity brothers. I was just frustrated, man. I'm on the phone telling him, yo, you know what this chick did? You know what she did? And, and it was some real messed up stuff, right? And I told him, like, yo, I'm done, man. I'm done. I don't care if I never get married. Yo, I'm done being a, a, a faithful man. I'm done. Like I just, I was going off. I was mouthing off, right? And, and, and he said something to me, which is funny because he was that dude. <laughs> he was the kind of dude that I was aspiring to be at the moment, right? And he says to me, he was like, CK, that's not in your character, dude. Don't do that. He was like, don't let the actions of somebody else govern your actions. He goes, you're a stand-up dude.
2: It's not in your character. You're going to get yourself hurt. Don't do that. And it, 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 it always shocked me. I was like, whoa, because
1: I expected him to be like, oh, we so we can go out this weekend. Let's get this started, CK. Let's do it, you know? Um, and for him to say that to me was powerful because I'm—he's co- coming from the mindset of somebody who really doesn't believe in at the time, right? Uh, black love relationships, being um, faithful to one woman. He was—he was out in the streets. He belonged to the streets. He's doing—he's doing his thing. And so for him to say that to me was like, oh, oh, okay, wow. It's like—it's it's like, yeah, young buck, you ain't ready for that. Just stay in your lane, you know. Um, so that's a case where some where I had somebody to kind of reel me back in when I was waiting waiting too far out in the, into the water. Uh, yeah, that's it. I can't think of any more, not off the top.
0: Well, we appreciate appreciate your honesty, man. That was um, definitely touching it to the point. You really uh, came near. in terms of mental health. That's a big piece we know today, yep. and uh, people are struggling with that. And I'm glad you you find your way out of that. You know, and they, I'm sure they, if you thought about it, there are some strategies you've used in self talk and maybe in the activities you engage to help you get through that that moment you know um yeah. i don't think it just happened out of any anywhere but i think you you have some some structures some internal structures or some things that help you repair those that thinking you know and and keep you on the right track keep you in a positive state of being and things like that and i'm and i'm glad you're here today to share that story with us um and your father too you know when he was when he was alive you know um and so i guess you know the you know I guess going forward I just want to speak to you've given us a lot today and 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 it's well said you know it's it's it's, it's brief. It's, it's well put well stated you know um if you had to give advice to young brothers who are trying to come up and trying to figure it out what would be the advice that you would give them today in this environment
2: in this climate Wow that's a lot Um, So professionally, uh, somebody
1: asked me this question. I was on a panel discussion with some folks who were in college looking to move into the workforce. Number one was figure out what it is you want to do and then go do it. And that sounds real simple minded, but really what it speaks to is getting a sense of where you wanna be and then plotting the steps that it may take to get there. And it doesn't mean that if you follow each step, you'll get straight there because there's obviously pitfalls along the way, but at least you have a a guidebook to, to, to get there. Number two, and equally as important, is have yourself a board of directors, a personal board of directors, people that are mentors, sponsors, or a little bit of both, people who are your peers, people who are not even related to your job or your career, bounce ideas off of them, right? You have your own executive board, bounce ideas off of them, ask them questions, meet with them frequently. Um, And that board of directors cannot and should not always look like you. They cannot be homogenous. If you were a Black man in this world, you absolutely cannot only go to Black men for guidance. You must go to other races because they will give you perspectives that you don't see or you don't think about because they look at things again from a different lens right um perfect example of that one of the people on my board of directors my personal board of directors is a coworker of mine and that particular co-worker uh is an italian born man uh, an italian man by by heritage he's american
2: but italian by by heritage and he um I was having a discussion with him about
1: moving on and doing something else, with respect to work, and he and he basically said he was like, "Listen, I'm gonna keep it real with you." He goes, "Corporate America is not, you know, right now, right here, and right now, corporate America is looking at DEI with you know open arms." He goes, "So honestly, you need to exploit it." He goes, "You're a black man, exploit it." Right now, you know you're what corporate America wants. And an intelligent, well-spoken, well-educated, experienced black male. He said, they're not looking for me. They're not looking for an Italian man. They're not. They're looking for you. He said, so that gets you into the door. Then once you get in the door, then they'll see all these other wonderful things about Connors. Oh, he does this. He does that. He does that. Look at his resume. Look what he does off the side of his desk. Look what he does. Right. Oh, I love the way he speaks, et cetera, et cetera. You can sell yourself however you want, but use that to get in the door because right now DEI is a sexy term. And Hey, not for nothing. None of my black mentors said that It was a white man who said that to me. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a completely different perspective that I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't spoken him, So, again, board of directors, you definitely want people that look like you want there, but you certainly want people who don't. They can't all be the same gender. They can't all be the same race. They can't. Um, another bit of information of, of advisement. And, you know, I have a very strong belief and relationship in God. I always have. It's like I mentioned to you, it's faltered over the years and it's gotten stronger over the years or so depending upon my um, situation what I was thinking about, but never to the point where I did not believe that there is a single unifying power in this universe, regardless of what name you call it, that set this universe in motion and can stop it if he wants to. He, she, it, whatever you want to call it. Okay, I had a very, very strong belief in God, I still do. I believe personally Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Not everybody believes that, that is what it is. That's my own personal belief, and it's kept me grounded. Uh, up until this point i don't plan to give that up anytime soon i say and so i say all that to say if you don't have a church go find one if you don't pray start praying because right now the way that society is acting especially towards people who are black they are looking to bring us back to a time that we fought very very hard and our forefathers fought very very hard never to ever see again right And if we think we could do it alone without any sort of divine intervention, we're sadly mistaken. No one says you had to go to go and be, you know, a saint. That's that's not what it's about. The Bible is full of people who are not saints that God used to to get to uh, what get his his circumstantial will completed. Right. Most of them. Killers, rapists, you name it. Right. Um, So we don't need to be perfect. But. Prayer is part of it. It doesn't mean prayer without an activity. You also have to do something, but prayer is the beginning of it. Um, and and I think last but certainly not least is if you are, I, I I think, again, personal opinion, the hardest job out there is a father to black sons. Second only to father to black daughters. And when I say second, they're like, one and one A. Right, I you know, I th- I think that is the most difficult job ever. It's the most rewarding. It's been the most rewarding experience of my life raising these boys and continuing to raise these boys in this world that is so diametrically opposed to black. But, um, so my my advisement is, uh, if you if 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 you're a black man and don't have that father figure to go to um, or mother figure to go to for that matter, get with somebody you could talk to, right? You know, shrink uh, a men's ministry group, um, you know, just, just somebody that you can kind of bounce ideas off of. They don't necessarily need to be your elder, although you get a different perspective from an elder, especially if that person has something to do with civil rights and lived through it. The last time we went through it, and you know, can provide some some good uh, advisement as to what's happening now. Um, but you got you 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 can't go through this alone. You can't. It will it will mess with your mental health. It will completely mess with your mental health, and and that's something that um, you know now. Mental health is a is a is a focus in the black community, and it's a lot more uh, well accepted widely accepted that you're going to see a shrink. You know, it used to be, you know, A, black people ain't got no money for that. So we don't do that. Or B, suck it up. What you complain about, right? Uh, we see that those strategies don't work. Just look at the last three years with COVID. Those strategies don't work. They no longer work. And so now it's more widely accepted for somebody to go and be talking to somebody. And those, And the prices of those kinds of services have started to come down and become more affordable. And in some cases free, depending upon where you are. So I always say, hey, before you go out and do something crazy, go talk to somebody. Um, you know, get get with a group, uh, group therapy session. Get with an individual therapy session. You know, speak to elders, talk to somebody before you go out and and, and do something that might land you uh, in jail or or worse, uh, dead.
0: Listen, Connors, thank you very much for the insights today. You know, you gave us a lot a food for thought, a lot of fruit off your tree. And, uh, we appreciate it. And a lot of stuff to, um, reflect on and think about, you know, and thank you for your time and, and, um, commitment to this process today.
1: Amen, brother. Thank you for having me on. Hope I was able to help somebody.
0: Thanks for listening to pushing boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.